All right. At least this gives me something to do with my hands. Um, hey, everybody. My name is Mark. Uh, I'm an alcoholic addict. Um, I've been sober my 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 final sobriety date, I guess, or if you want to call it, uh, May 15, 2007. Um, thanks. I, uh, I say that I struggle remembering that date. I don't know why. I remember that the day before was my niece's birthday, and I went out and got high. Um, and But I keep... I don't know. The dates or numbers are bad for me. So I tattooed it on my leg. So that helped. Um, yeah, Adam and I have, uh, have quite a bit of past together. Um, never using or drinking or anything together. Um, I met Adam in AA. Um, he, uh, you've got more one year coins than anybody I know, mm-hmm. <laughs> to be honest. I tell that story to a lot of people, um, which, Hey, it doesn't matter how we get there, but we all got there. My story with Adam being my employee um, Adam bailed on me on one of the, probably the most important day, um, in a bar's career when you're an Irish bar and it's St. Patty's day and your dishwasher doesn't show up. Um, yeah, so no resentment there anymore. Um, <laughs> at the time there was, but yeah, Adam, Adam, when, when I hired him, I said, don't put me in the position of serving you. I don't want to be there. Um, and fuck a week later. He sat down at the bar and wanted me to pour him a beer. And I kind of looked at him and I said, you know what? You've made that decision to already sit here. You've, you've, you've come in front of me of all people. So I said, you know, you've made it. You, here's your beer. You, it's not on my shoulders anymore. And um, yeah, so, but uh, great. One of my best friendships. Um, I probably don't ever tell you that or tell you that enough, but Um, you know, you've got a great friend when you can not talk to them for a month or six months and come back and they're right there for you. Um, and that's what it's been a lot for us. I I feel like in sobriety, my story, um, I was first drunk when I was 12. Uh, I was talking with relatives. It was at my aunt and uncle's wedding dance. Um, I was 12 years old. We were, I was at another relative's wedding this, this weekend. And we're sharing that story because, all of us kids that got drunk for the first time were there. And we finally told the aunt that got married that, yeah, that was the first time I got drunk. Um, uh, I think I was probably full-blown alcoholic by 16. Uh, very functioning, though. I was always functioning. Um, always kept jobs. Um, was able to work, but I needed booze to, to do those things. Uh, so, yeah, by 16, I had, I had gotten my driver's license, got a secured uh, buyer that bought me alcohol whenever I needed it. Um, and that was kind of how I kept, um, kept my addiction going. I kept straight A's, uh, in high school was a two sport athlete, um, and drank every night. Uh, my dad grew up, I grew up, my dad's an alcoholic, um, still an alcoholic. Uh, he was sober throughout my childhood. Um, I think he collected coins and I think he went to meetings, but looking back and realizing, um, he always had sharps and he always had Budweiser in his vehicle. And I think he, he combined the two to make people believe that he was sober. Um, he wasn't around a lot. He worked a lot. Uh, he wasn't around a lot for my activities. He was there for our family, but he was also very um, active in his addiction. He's 70, 77 now. Um, and I just pray every day that I don't get a call that he's in jail again because um, this summer, we put my mom in a nursing home for Alzheimer's disease, which uh, gives him free reign to kind of do whatever he wants. But um, yeah, so 
Uh, I never got into drugs until college. Uh, I went to UND. Um, I do not regret any of those decisions. Uh, UND was quite a place. I remember my, my college sweet mates. Um, I had never even, I don't even think I'd even seen drugs. I came from a small town in Northern Minnesota where it was, if you had drugs, it was hard to get drugs at that time. Uh, I'm 44. So that would have been mid nineties. Uh, and my sweet mates were from Minot and I guess drugs are easier to get in Minot cause they sure brought a lot of them. And I immediately started trying them and fell in love with them. And, um, shortly thereafter, my freshman year of college, I was asked to not come back after that. Uh, the college decided that a 0.8 GPA was not good enough <laughs> to maintain uh, enrollment there. And so I moved back home, uh, worked construction for a few years, and uh, moved down to this area, uh, which is uh, I was just turning 21, and um, that's when I really started to my drinking and drug use really went full speed. Uh, I found a job when I turned the day I turned 21, I went and applied for a bartending job and I got a job bartending, um, because I knew I needed to be around alcohol in order to functionally use alcohol all day long. Uh, for some reason when you're working in a bar, they don't mind if you drink the mistakes and you can make a few mistakes every, every hour or so. And, and they didn't care. Um, shortly thereafter, I, I found methamphetamines, uh, which is a large part of my story, but I found when I sobered up, I was extremely ashamed to talk about it. Um, I come from a part of where I grew up. Alcohol was very accepted. Um, drugs were not. And so I just hid behind alcoholism. Um, but meth was probably, probably one of my most favorite addictions that I had. And I hate to say it that way, but if any of you have been there, um, you probably understand. Uh, I never sold. Um, I manufactured, um, I helped people manufacture. I stole product to help manufacture anything that I could do to feed my addiction. I loaned out my car for weeks at a time. Um, for people to take it and do what they want. Um, I remember going to a job interview with my vehicle smelling so bad like an anhydrous that I had to park at the end of the parking lot and leave my windows open and hope to God nobody walked by it. I mean, just crazy things that you'd never think of as a sober person that you would do. Um, but I did. Uh, by the grace of God, I got out of that. Um, I was into a point where I was living in my brother's basement. Um, he did not know about my drug addiction. He knew about my alcoholism. Um, he was doing everything that he could to try to help me. I think just help me, you know, stay alive. But, um, I was living in an unfinished basement in the corner of a just concrete floor and concrete walls with a pile of dirty clothes this high and a mattress on the floor. Um, and I was just lucky that he was willing to take a few hundred dollars rent so that I could, you know, feed my addiction and, and just keep doing what I was doing. Um, I got out of meth before, obviously before I died, <laughs> but also before I ever went to jail. I had a lot of close calls with a lot of different people. And all of those people at some point got caught, got 
got busted something. I ended up quitting meth because my dealer stopped dealing to me. He said, Mark, you've got too much going in your life and I'm not going to be the one that pulls down. He's a good friend of mine. Um, we still stay in contact to this day. He's sober. He went to jail uh, for, for dealing. Um, I think he spent five years in prison for it. Um, but he stopped me. I was so angry. I was so angry at that man. Um, but something there made me, it, I, as far as I can remember, and I do struggle with some memory things every now and then, is that I don't remember horrible crashes off of meth. I don't remember um, fiending for it when I was gone. It was almost like him saying I didn't, he wouldn't do it anymore, um, gave me or gave my body the okay to, to stop it. Um, also, I mean, well, maybe the cocaine helped it a little. I was, uh, I found cocaine for a little bit while, for a little while there, but cocaine never, never did it for me like meth did. Um, meth was a drug that allowed me to drink more. Um, meth was a drug that allowed me to work better because I was, um, you know, I could, I could function at a job under the influence in different ways. Um, and I was able to quit it. I didn't find my sobriety until I found out that my girlfriend who became my wife and is now my ex-wife, um, was pregnant with my first daughter. I, we found out we were pregnant and I was 27 years old at the time. And I said, I kept telling myself, okay, I got to slow down. I got to slow down. I got to save money. I've got a kid coming. I've got to get out of my brother's unfinished basement and find a living space that I can raise a family in. And it seemed like I would do well and stop during the week. A weekend would roll around and I'm like, okay, well, we got one, one night to party. Might as well make a big, a big shing, you know, a big, big deal of it. Um, go get an eight ball and, and, and drink. And, and then I started drinking heavier. I started drinking more to a, I never was a blackout drinker. I was very rarely a blackout drinker. Um, and I just started drinking harder and using more drugs because it was almost like, well, this is going to be the last, this is going to be the last. She finally had had enough and said, if I don't know if there's a future for us, but if you want anything to do with this child, you need to change your life. And something when she said that flashback to my dad and my dad not being around at times when I needed him. And I told myself, I can't raise a kid or I can't allow somebody else to raise my kid. And I did what I thought was the best. And I said, I'm going to go to an AA meeting. Um, I asked my brother to come with me because I knew if he didn't, I would have went and sat in the parking lot and watched everybody walk into the meeting. And I would have waited in my car until I watched everybody walk out of the meeting. And then I would have drove home and said, yep, I went to a meeting and everything's good. Um, I jumped into AA thinking that, okay, if I do this for a couple weeks, uh, shit should all kind of quiet down at home and I can kind of go slowly get back into what I was doing and what I was good at. Um, I should back this up. Prior to that, about three months prior to me quitting, um, I was starting to have health issues from, from everything. And I, I went into the doctor and the doctor wanted to draw blood and he said, I need you to, I need you to abstain from alcohol for 12 hours so that we can do blood work. And it took me two and a half months to get 12 hours so I could go in and get those, that blood work done. Um, 
got the blood work and what we thought was true was true. My, my liver was not functioning well. I was having health issues from it and I was, and it was getting to the point where it was starting to affect my organs and I was fine with it. I was completely okay with it. I looked at it like, well, this is the way I'm going to go down. So let's just go down with it. And my own health didn't make me want to stop. Fast forward to where I'm now put in the position of, well, do I want to have anything to do with a kid that I'm that is mine? And that got me into my first meeting. Now my first meeting, I showed up in the most raggedy clothes that you can imagine at the Tupperware building, NPG, um, which at the time was a basically a shirt and tie type of meeting. Um, I thought I was walking into a wedding. And of course, I stuck out like a sore thumb. Uh, I was shaking, I was withdrawing, and four or five guys came and sat and said, do you mind if we sit by you? They came over at the break, said, do you mind if we just sit by you? And I didn't know any better, I said, yeah, you know. Um, then they asked me to, if I'd go to coffee, and I had no, I had no idea who these people were. They, were. they go to Hardy's on Main for coffee, and I said, yeah. They said they'd give me a ride home. My brother took off. Um, I got there, my sponsor, who's my sponsor today, it was almost like I was the, the new guy and everybody was crowding around me to, they wanted to shake my hand. They wanted to do some service work. And my sponsor pushed his way through. Um, his name is Dooley. I'm going to say he's about this tall and about this wide and a very, very scary looking person. And he came up to me almost with a finger in my chest and said, I think I could help you stay sober and I want to be your sponsor. And I didn't know how to fucking say no to a guy of that size. So I said, okay, what does that mean? You know? And he said, he means you do whatever I tell you to do. This is kind of how he said it. I didn't, I didn't know any better. So I'm like, all right, well, I guess we'll, we'll try this out. Um, he had me sheetrocking garages for people that I didn't know. He had me going to meetings in South Dakota, sitting in the back of a suburban with, four chain smokers in the front and I'm not a smoker. I was so I remember I bought a sports coat for this meeting and I stinking like so, so mad, so angry because I'm mad at these people for ruining my sports coat. Um, all these things that I, and when I questioned him later, like why the hell am I sheetrocking somebody else's garage on a Saturday when I could be doing something else? And he said, cause it's service work and it's keeping you out of your own head. Um, I didn't realize as much at the time that my own head was just as big uh, of an enemy um, for me as drugs and alcohol were. Uh, we've probably all been there where we get to a point um, where your mind just spins and you can't get off of that thought or off of that. I just, just let me, just let me use it just one more time. And you don't know how to get away from it. Um, I sobered up in a bar, um, working as a bartender and I was told by my sponsor that I needed to quit my job in order to stay sober. And I said, I can't do it. I said, I make too good of money and this is what I do and it's what I know how to do. I don't have a college degree. Um, I'm, I'm a, I'm a hustler, I'm a worker. And so at our home group, I was told I had to bring gum for every person in two rows which was probably about 30 plus people every meeting until I quit my job and got a new job. 
And two years later, I'm sitting at a Tuesday meeting and I'm passing down. I, I'm picking up five to six packs of gum every every week and I'm passing down gum. And my sponsor looks down and he goes, are you still fucking handing out gum? <laughs> and I said, you told me I had to hand out gum every Tuesday until I get a new job and I still have the same job. And you haven't told me that I can quit yet. And he just, he kind of shook his head. But I'm like, I, I took everything that he said seriously. Um... I've gone into a lot of AA meetings before where if I would have been my first meeting, I probably would have never gone back. There was a lot of meetings that I didn't like. Um, there was a lot of people at certain meetings that I didn't like. Uh, there was just the, the waste. I mean, and looking back, could it have been my mood at the time? Maybe, probably. Um, but I know that for some reason I went to a Tuesday meeting and I went to that meeting first because I, I believe God pushed me in that direction. Um, like I said, I bartended then for six years, almost seven years sober of my, of my sobriety. I, I knew going in there that I couldn't stay anonymous very long. I couldn't stand behind a bar that I used to drink at every day. And the people that were buying drinks for me that I would drink with and look at them and say, sorry, I'm not drinking today without giving them a reason why. So the anonymity of the program for me was really never there, um, which has helped me. It's, it's what's kept me sober because if I stay within myself and I, and I don't share, I, I distance myself from people and I find myself getting into my own mind more when I get out and I share it, whether it's on social media or it's in person or it's just meeting somebody on the street. Um, it keeps me accountable. I lost my job as a sober person in that bar. Um, the owners felt like I was working too much. They were paying me too much. So they fired me. Um, I didn't know what to do. I got charged with a disorderly conduct in that time. I was sober, six years sober. I punched a guy in the face with my two-year-old daughter in the back of the car um, because it, a stupid little high schooler didn't like how I was driving and decided to cock off through the window of another car. And I kind of felt like I taught him a lesson. Uh, that lesson got me charged with a disorderly conduct. Luckily at the time, um, because of where I worked in the bar that I worked in, I served a lot of police officers. They knew that I was sober. They came over to my house. When they got the call, they asked me what was going on. Um, and I was able to plead it down. Basically it was if I didn't, you know, I paid a fine and if I didn't have any other charges in the six months, it would go off my record. Um, that's stuff that I used to do drunk and using, not stuff that I felt like I should have done sober. and. Um, luckily it, it didn't drive me to using or drinking. Um, it just drove me to making bad decisions, but I share that because sobriety doesn't make my life perfect. It makes it far from perfect. Um, sobriety allows me to face the problems that I have now that I normally would run from or would go to use and just avoid. Um, I went right to work at another bar. Um, in downtown Fargo, where I became instantly, well, not instantly, but a month later, I became a manager, and I spent uh, a good portion of um, a few more years there. 
And like I said, I've, I've seen a lot and been through a lot <clears throat> being in those bars. Um, but being around it, I think, helped me stay sober. It didn't make me ever want to drink again or use again. It helped me to see what I could be like every day. Um, and I met a lot of great people and still know a lot of great people from those areas. I'm a social butterfly, if you want to call it. Um, I, when I lost my job, I was used to being around a hundred or so people a day and now I'm isolated and I'm by myself. And I went into a pretty large depression, um, until I found another job and was able to kind of dig my way back out of it. But, uh, I got blessed after that as well. Uh, a friend of mine got into real estate and, um, <laughs> that's all right. A friend of mine got into real estate and her boss was looking for more people to put on their team. And she said, I know this guy, I think he would be great. Uh, I went and kind of did an interview with him, I guess, sort of say. And I decided I was going to take the plunge to go get my real estate license. Uh, a lot of things happened. It took me about six months. Um, a lot of things happened. I, I, I got my real estate license. I got into real estate. I, I ran into a mentor, <laughs> mentors, um, that, <laughs> uh, I was able to sponge off of. I literally followed this man around. I sat in a car with him for eight hours a day. And all I did is I had a little notebook that I kept in my pocket and I wrote down everything that he said and everything that he did and talked about with when he was interacting and doing his deals. And when we got back in the car, I'd flip back and say, okay, you said this, 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 and this, what did you mean? How does this work? And I was able to learn from one of the best people in this town as far as real estate. Uh, when he branched off and started his own company, I was one of four. Um, they are now one of the top, probably the top agencies in North, North Dakota. Um, but I was able to become uh, the lead of his one of his departments. I was averaging about 100 houses a year selling for him. Um, and I stayed there for uh, close to six years. Um, I, like I said before, I don't have a college degree. Uh, I feel very lucky that I was able to get put into a position and the real estate industry is very much like the bar industry. It's very, there's a lot of alcohol. There's a lot of socializing involved. Um, and I was worried going into it. No, not knowing if I, I, I felt like I had the tools to protect my sobriety. I did not know if I would be accepted within the community and this is probably all in my own head, but if I would be accepted into a community that this is what people do, um, there's a high, <laughs> there's a high, uh, ratio of alcoholics and there's a high ratio of divorces, which I'm both now. Um, but I was with that company for a lot of years and, uh, life changed and I decided to go out on my own. Um, which is one of the hardest things that I've done since my sobriety, I was in the middle of a divorce, uh, going through a lot of changes and I decided to let go of my security blanket and basically my paycheck and go on my own. And if any of you have ever been your own business owner or been your own employer, there's no money coming in. There's no paycheck. There's no health insurance. 
you're basically saying, I'm going to go out and I'm going to figure out how to feed my family. And I, I got home. I had my office for of six years and two cardboard boxes. And I set it on my kitchen table and my house had just looked like it had been robbed because my ex had just come through and taken all of the stuff that she wanted. So the house was destroyed. I had my kids for the first weekend after we had basically split and I was sitting on my kitchen floor bawling, crying, my kids not knowing what was going on because I was having a panic attack. I was breaking down and luckily I called my sponsor and I said, I don't know if I've made any of the right decisions in my life as of lately. And he said, you're sober. I said, yeah. And he said, you probably are then. You're probably making the right ones. So um, I was about a month away from losing my house, uh, losing my car because I had no money. I had no money coming in. Um, oof, I, get, I get pretty emotional when I talk about that year. That first year of sobriety or that first year of being on my own in sobriety when I look back and I look at the people that I was able to help buy or sell their houses, they were, they all have a story that they were put into my, into my path for a reason. Uh, states attorneys, um, youth pastors at churches, uh, people that I thought would look at me and judge me because of my past or because of the mistakes I've made, but people that open arm came to me and accepted me and let me help them. They helped me more than they, than I probably helped them. Um, and now, now, like I said, I'm on my own. Uh, I've got a few agents that work with me and are underneath me, um, that I mentor and I, and I try to help just become better people. And I don't, I don't know where my next check or my next paycheck's coming from sometimes. Um, I think God kind of keeps me in that path because I work better not knowing. Uh, when I get comfortable, I get complacent. But it still seems to work out. And I know I wouldn't be there if I was still using or drinking. Um, like I said, I've got no college education. I've got some, co no, I've got about seven years of college, but I've got no education from it. Um, I spent a lot of time, I could be a doctor, but I spent a lot of time just spending money getting tattoos and drinking and using. So um, I never came to a treatment center. I was scared of treatment centers. I was scared of getting locked up. I've been locked up, not for very long. I've been to the center um, back then, but I was scared to go to treatment. I And I don't, I still think about that today. And I'm not really sure why I think it was the stigma behind it. Even though I'm open, um, I'm on the board of directors now for a treatment, another treatment center. Um, and I think it was the stigma back then. I, I it was, I was still in a, my stubborn way. I didn't want to say, I didn't want to be locked up somewhere. I didn't want to be stuck somewhere. I wanted to be able to come and go on my own accord and I didn't know if I could do that in a program like that. So I just said, I'm, okay, I'm going to go to AA. At least they let me leave AA meetings. Um, mm -hmm. I'm going to stick with AA and I'll find this and I'll fight through this and I'll do it. Um, my cravings went away after I did my fourth and fifth steps. Um, I'm not here to preach that program by any means, but that program saved my life. 
Uh, I didn't realize it, but when I, when I made a list and I made amends, after that, I didn't have my cravings anymore. Um, it's been 15 and a half years, and I get asked the question, well, don't you think you could drink? Don't you think you could have a couple? Don't you think you know, you're a different person? And I know what could happen. And what could happen is a bottle of rumple mints and a lot of Coors Lights is what could happen. And that would turn into a, a long, quite a few days of mistakes. So to me, it's not worth it. It's just not worth me going through it. Um, I find other ways to deal with my stress. I ride motorcycle, I work out when I can. Um, I stay pretty focused with my family. Uh, those are things that, that take my mind off of the problems that I have. Um, but I've also come to realize that I have mental health issues. Um, and I was most likely self-medicating through most of my life because of it. And I, do, I go to a therapist to deal with those issues. Uh, and the cool part about it is I'm not scared to admit those issues. Um, I handed a guy 20 bucks the other day that I could tell was struggling on the side of the street and he broke down crying when I gave him 20 bucks. I was, and this is, I think is a great, to me was a great example of God putting people in my path. I drove by that guy when he was on the opposite side of the street to go wash my car. I was struggling with gratitude for the last few days, thinking that, you know, why is work slow? Why is this happening? Why isn't this happening when I sh want it to happen? And... I drove by this guy, I went to wash my car and buy a tie for the wedding. And I drove by this guy and when I went back by him again and I handed him $20 and he started crying and he said, you do not understand how much this is helping me right now. And I said, is there anything else I can do? And he said, just pray, pray for me. And he was in my mind, most likely under the influence of, a, of some drug or struggling with his mental health. And as I drove away from him and I told him I'd pray for him, I broke down crying. And I said, what a fucking asshole I've been complaining about my life, driving around in a newer vehicle, going to buy a tie and not having to worry about the $30 that I was paying for the tie when this guy, 20 bucks, basically just made his day. And I don't know what he used it for. I don't even care. I don't. I don't care if he went out and used it because he needed to get drugs to help him stay through that day or if he went and used it for food or whatever. It didn't matter to me. What mattered is that in a little bit of a way, I touched his life. And I've been blessed with the ability to do that because of my sobriety. I've had a lot of friends die in this. And... I struggle wishing I could have helped them. But knowing that obviously I can't, I just can't be there for everybody and I can't force somebody to want their sobriety or to, to go for their sobriety. Um, yeah, today is a great day. Um, I have the ability to go and I visited a friend in the hospital before I came here. And I'm able to come here on my own accord and, and share with you and not shake and not hurt because of my addiction. Um, 
and I'm able to be there for my family tonight when we have supper. And that's, that to me is a good day. So I don't know, that's what I got. So 